Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as you can tell, we are going to be observing uh, the Lord's Supper today. And, you know, it's always just such a, a special time in uh, the life of our church whenever we do. And, uh, and it's an important time for you and I to do some examination of our hearts and of our faith. You know, Paul commanded very clearly in 2 Corinthians 15, 5, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. James comes along, and, and, and James says one of the best ways for you to examine your faith is for you to examine the words that are coming out of your mouth. See, the Bible teaches holistically this truth, that from uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if wickedness is coming out of the mouth, there's wickedness within the heart. If there's something that is good or something that is pure or peaceable, then those things are a demonstration of what's happening within the heart. And so what we find is James really kind of comes and he, and he introduces this whole concept of the tongue in James chapter 3 in verse 1. We saw that last week. And he began this section by warning anybody who might become teachers. He says, listen, don't become too hasty. Don't be too hasty about filling in a position as a teacher of the word in whatever official capacity because understand that you're going to be held to a higher accountability, a stricter judgment to where you and I or any other teacher is going to be held accountable for every idle word that we speak and especially how we influence other people through what it is that we're teaching. So now what he's going to do is he's going to move from the warning of the tongue to the power of the tongue. And we only have time just for those three verses, but he's going to let us know uh, more and really kind of unpack here, very clearly demonstrate just how powerful the words that we speak are. And so I want to show you three truths just very quickly this morning before we get to the Lord's Supper, three truths concerning the power of the tongue. First of all, notice we want to see in the word that we are capable of great sin. We are capable, we are all capable of great sin. Notice what James says beginning in verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways, all right? Now, what he does is he begins by giving us this incredibly powerful and really accurate statement of faith. What he says here is this, is in, and what I love about it is he includes himself. He says, we all, which means everyone he's writing to and himself, the Greek there literally means each and every one without exception. He says, we all do what? Stumble. What does he mean by stumble? Well, the same Greek word is used in chapter 10 or chapter 2 and verse 10. There it's translated fail. And so what we know is he's using these words like stumble and fail and trespasses and all these different words to speak and use them as a, as a synonym for sin, us failing God. And so we, we see that there. And, and notice what he says, not only do we all do it, not all, all do we all stumble and fail and sin, he says, but guess what? We do it at many ways. I'm louder. I'm louder. All right. My kids can't win, all right? I'm louder, all right? And so some of you started smirk laughing. So I was like, all right, I got to insert something there. All right. So anyway, where am I? All right, so here we are. Back to it. I might be louder, but I'm dumber because I can't remember where I was. And so, so here, here's, here's the crux of what he says. When he says in many ways, it's not only talking about the different varieties of sins that we are capable of, but also talks how often we sin. It's talking, so let, let me just sum it up. You can reoralize it this way. He says, we all, you, me, even the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the author of one of the New Testament books, we all fail, stumble, and sin 
many ways and many times. Yes? We agree, we agree that, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. Not just as unbelievers... But here's, here's the, but as believers as well, we have an incredible capacity still, even though God has regenerated us, changed us, given us the Holy Spirit, we still have a pretty amazing capacity to be able to sin. You know, it's amazing. I've mentioned this, I think, a while back in one of the sermons, and I don't like to repeat things unless I can't uh, figure out what else to say, and then I'll, uh, I'll repeat another sermon. But anyway, um, uh, here... I stated that it, it amazes me when, when somebody will pray publicly this way. And I've done it before, so let, I'll, I'll just say how guilty I was. When they get up and they say something like this, God, we just come to you today, and if we have sinned in any way today, would you please forgive us? And it's the, that if thing that really gets me. It's like 9 o'clock at night. If, if we failed you in some way, right? It's not really if we have, it's how many times have we and how many ways have we sinned. Look, I know it's early, it's still morning, but we have all blown it plenty of times already. And what's crazy is we all knew we were going to come to worship. We're going to come to worship, worship God, do it for God, and yet you and I have already sinned sins of both commission and omission. You write that? Commission, which means we've done things, thought things, and said things that we ought not to be saying. But sins of omission, I'm louder, of omission, right? It's all good. Omission, which is what? Of, of things that we should be doing, should be saying, should be thinking that we fail to be able to do. So I think that we're all on the same page, that, that, that what? We are all able to sin and do sin in many ways and in many times. You know, an interesting spiritual reality, I think, is this, is that the closer that you walk in fellowship with God and the greater your relationship and intimacy with him is, the far more aware you become of the breadth and the depth of your sin. Have you ever noticed that? In other words, the further you are away, the, the less aware you are of your own sin. Um, you know, this is, this is evidence, I think, in, in one picture in the Bible, it's in a lot of them, but God in the Old Testament really calls out Isaiah, and he tells Isaiah, he says, listen, I want you to go to the people, my people, who at this point are godless. They have turned their back on me. They're doing, they're doing their own thing. Uh, they are godless. He says, I want you to go and preach repentance. Tell them to come back to me because they're not living right. Here's the weird thing about the book. The people in the book think that everything between them and God is right. But God says of them that they are hard-hearted and they are slow to hear. And so they are completely disobedient to God. They feel like everything is right. God says everything is wrong. But then you have Isaiah the prophet to where the Bible says he was a righteous man. He was a godly man. So he was far more righteous, doing the right things unto God. Even God identifies him as being a righteous man. And guess what he does? When he comes into the presence of God and hears the word of God, he says, I am undone. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You know, a lot of you can really identify, I think, with Isaiah, probably even with the people that he was preaching to, because there was a time, stop and think about this, some of us could give a testimony like this, I remember a time that I actually thought that I was a good person. Anybody feel, feel that way? And some of you are like, man, I still feel like I'm good. Well, then keep listening, all right? Just keep listening, all right? So, 
so what I mean by that is that there was an actual time that if you would have come to meet Jimmy Black, he's not here today because he's probably sharing the gospel somewhere, knowing Jimmy Black, right? So he's sharing the gospel somewhere. If Jimmy Black would have come to us at one point in our lives before he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he began to share the gospel and said, are you going to go to heaven? Each and every one of us said, yeah, you're darn right, I'm going to heaven. He said, why? Because I'm a, what, good person. And you and I would have said it with a straight face. We would have said, and if anybody would have told us anything otherwise, we would have been greatly offended because our goodness had been attacked, right? But then God did something in my heart and your heart. Through the word of God and through the power of his Holy Spirit, all of a sudden he ripped back the veil and we saw our true condition. We saw the depth of our depravity. We saw, we saw that there was sin everywhere. It was deeper and wider and more serious than we could have ever imagined. And God had to do that. To see his need, our need for him, he had to show the, 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 our, our condition. Now, here's the crazy part. Since you've been born again, from that time till now, you've been radically changed. You have been radically changed. God has given you a new heart. He's given you a new spirit. You are a new man or a new woman in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And you have won battle after battle after battle with sin. To, to, to him be all the praise and the honor and the glory. You are not who you used to be. But here's the crazy thing. You're more like Jesus than you've ever been. But the closer that you become, the more you begin to feel and understand, I'm never going to win this thing. Because it's just... Every time I take a couple steps, I just more realize that I'm farther away from Jesus than what I really intended and thought that I ultimately was. This is what one of the authors said. He said, God is fitting the believer for heaven, but the closer he gets to it, the more he realizes that he is not fit to enter. You with that? So the first thing he says is this. He says, we are capable of great sin. Number two, our sin is most evident in our speech. So what he's saying is, hey, listen, you and I are capable of great sin, not only capable of it, we do it, we take part in sin each and every day through what we do, many different ways at many different times, we're all agreed on that. He goes, but the way that your sin is most clearly seen and demonstrated in a daily, in a, in a daily way is by the speech and the words that are coming out of your mouth. Notice what he says next. He says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, when James uses the word perfect, he's already used it earlier in, in, in the earlier chapters. So he doesn't use it to describe somebody who is sinlessly perfected. He doesn't mean that sinless perfection there. Uh, in, in fact, because so, remember, what did, what did James just say? He says, we all fail in many times in many ways. Even the great saints in the Old Testament and New Testament stumbled with, guess what? With their mouth. We go to the Old Testament, we look at Job, and it's said of Job in Job 1.8, Job, uh, it said that he is blameless and he's upright. We get to chapter 40, verse 4, we see, we see Job doing this. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Why is he putting his hand over his mouth? Because he knows that something bad is going to come out of it. We already saw the example of Isaiah, a righteous man, more godly than anyone else. He's already saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. We get to the New Testament, and there is Peter, right? And we know Peter's mouth, right? All right, Here he is, handpicked by Jesus, one of the 12, and he's the spokesperson of all people for the clan, for the group, and yet he lies to the face of the Son of God, not once, but three times, right? 
Then, of course, we have Paul. You think, you know, sometimes I think of Paul as being completely perfect, even though he reminds us he has not yet achieved that. And yet he even has a problem with his mouth. Acts chapter 23 and verse 3, he told Ananias, the high priest, he said, God will strike you, you whitewashed tomb, and then immediately realized he had done something that was wrong. We all struggle. There was only one who was perfect in everything he said, and his name was Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. Even though he's not speaking about sinless perfection when he uses the word perfect, what he is describing is he's describing a spiritually mature person, somebody who is advanced in their Christian walk. So even though you and I are never going to be perfect like Christ here on this earth, we get that, right? It tells us to be, but we're never ultimately going to make it not here, not in this flesh. It's only in the world to come. But what he tells us is this, is that at the same exact time, we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, sanctifying our hearts, which is there clearly evident by what's coming out of our mouth. When the Holy Spirit is working in us, changing our hearts, it's going to be clear to all to see because of the words that we ultimately speak. That's the whole point of James. Whenever there is a new birth, there will always be a new life that is then lived even in our speech. You know, it's, it's interesting to me because we always have in church, you know, personalities in church are funny, right? Yeah, I mean, you guys got that, right? You don't have to be all like, uh, like holy and stuff. It's just weird. We're weird. We're a weird combination of people and it's just amazing. It's only Christ that keeps it together. You guys got that, right? And in every church, I don't know what, why are you guys so sensitive about that? It's, it's true. Have you not met other Christians? All right, turn to them. Look at them. Crazy, all right? And so, so here, here, here's what happens we, we, we get this. Um, there's always somebody in every church I've ever served that thinks themselves spiritual because they say stuff like this. Well, you know, I'm somebody that just tells it like it is. I'll tell you right to your face, man. Whatever I'm feeling, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to say it like it is. You'll never have to wonder what it is that I'm thinking. And, and then they'll say this, almost to try to comfort you, I think, is, hey, listen, if I ever have a problem with you, because there are people, have you ever been around people that you think they must be mad at everything? And sometimes you think they're mad at you, right? I mean, they're, mad, they're like mad at air. Who gets mad at air, right? And they're just mad at something. And you go up to them and you walk to them. And, and here's what happens. When you, when you begin to talk with them, you're just like, hey, man, are we, are we cool? Is, is, is everything going okay? And what do they do? They turn with you. And you think that if they really didn't have a problem, they'd be like, man, we're good. No, no, no problem. Instead, they say something like this. You would know if I had something with you. All right, you would know because I'd be all up in your junk. I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't be talking behind your back. It's like a Medea, like a Christian Medea or something. I wouldn't be talking behind your back. I would tell you right to your face what problem I have with you. You know, I have to, as though that's better. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, I'm like, dude, to be honest with you, I'd rather you say horrible things behind my back where I don't hear it than in my face. Are you, are you right? But what they're doing is they're being boastful. You guys got that? They're being, they're, they're being boastful. Now, listen, I don't mean that if you tell it like it is and that kind of stuff and they're straightforward and honest. I'm not talking about honesty. I'm just talking about nastiness, right? And somebody that comes up and they just tell you in their face and they're just angry and they're just bitter. And what happens is they think, the reason they're so boastful is because they think that's a sign of maturity, to speak their mind. But you know what the Bible says? It's actually a sign of immaturity. For you just to have no filter whatsoever, and not be able to work through things to be sensitive to what it is that you're saying to people. It's actually unchristlike. This is what Peter said about Jesus. He said, listen very carefully. This is in uh, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. And you tell me if that attitude is the same as Christ. He says, for to this you have been called, because Jesus also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The scriptures are saying here very clearly that guess what? That you and I fall in many ways. One of the main ways we fall is through our speech. And if we somehow are able to, to, to contain and control our speech, it's a sign of maturity, but it's also another sign. It also shows that we are able to bridle the whole body, he says. So here's his point with this. Here, here's a little bit inside of a horse's mouth. And the idea that he's, that they say the bridle with the, with the bit, here's what he's saying. It is so incredibly difficult to control what comes out of your mouth that it's literally the hardest thing to do. Of all the sins that you struggle with, all of them, he says the controlling of lust, the controlling of covetousness, and idolatry, those are all very difficult things. We all identify that, right? He says what's even harder is for you to control the words that are coming out of your mouth. Now, I, I gotta make something, I gotta say something here. Now, some of us have religified our language, but that doesn't mean that our language has been sanctified. What I mean is, just, just track with me for a second. Some, you and I have been churching long enough that we come out and we don't start busting F-bombs in the church, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just being serious. We don't come start cussing and start saying all kinds of things and dogging everybody, all right? So we get that. But the question is, what kind of language are you speaking when nobody else is around with those who you ultimately trust, with those who are at home and those you were on the phone with, right? I keep doing that, that phone thing. I don't think we do that anymore, do we? It's phone thing, because it's a cell phone now. It's not, if I do this, it makes me look old, doesn't it? Because it looks like the old big cloppy thing. So just the, the little one, okay? Uh, or, or none at all, right? In your ear. So how's it going? You doing all right? Okay, so we get that. So speaking. So what is your voice like when you're not around religious people? What do you, it's, it, it's difficult to control, because you know those safe places, your spouse, your friend, whoever it is, when nobody else is going to find, and you have to sit there and say, hey, listen, don't tell anybody this, and you begin to spew things out of your mouth. I'm not talking about what's coming out of your mouth here with the whole religious group together. But he says, he says this, if you're able to control that completely through, get a handle on that, he says all the other sins that you struggle with will be easy compared to this particular sin. So we sin in many ways. Our sin is most evident in our speech and what we say. And here's the third point, and we, we must hurry. Our speech has incredible power to direct others. Our sin has incredible power to direct others. He uses two analogies here. And uh, what he's going to do is these analogies are going to serve as illustrations to show us the immense power you and I have just with our voices, just with our tongues, to influence and direct our, not only our own lives, but other people. So he uses the first one. He says this. He says, he gives the picture of a bit in a horse's mouth. He says, now, I, now I got to tell you, I, I hate horses, okay? So even me talking about this horse thing is just hard, but it's in the word, so I got to explain it, all right? I've had, you know, I go up, I'm just telling you this because you want to know my business, so I'm going to tell you. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, up in, uh, in November, going hunting, so excited about that, going with Nathan, big dog Nathan, our, our previous youth pastor, and he said, man, come on up, we're going to go hunting before you speak this weekend. I'm like, awesome, man, let's go do it. And he goes, and we're going to do it on horseback. The only animal I hate more than horses are monkeys, all right? And I don't think there's any monkeys up there. But the reason is because I was, I was, I was on a horse, and the first time I was on a horse, it flips me over backwards. Hi, old silver. I forgot to hold on. I flip off the back. The second time, we're going down a trail at a youth camp, and a horse turns around, and another horse, I'm not even right, turns around and bites my leg. 
All right. Because it's biblical and it's in the text, though, I must preach about the horse. So the horse is here. I don't know why I went there, but there's a horse. And, and horses are powerful throughout human history. They've, they've, worked, they've helped mankind with transportation, with war, um, supposedly with fun, right, with work. Uh, and it's amazing how powerful they are because what happens is you could take a huge load of hundreds of pounds, one that you and I couldn't even be able to stand under, place it on the horse's back, and he doesn't even budge. He just stands there. All of this muscle and all this weight can run a quarter mile in some 25 seconds. Unbelievable, the power in this thing. But yet you could take a small bit, stick it in that horse's mouth, and even a child that is not afraid of horses, that less than 100 pounds, can direct where that huge beast is going. He says the second illustration is one of a ship in verse 4. Notice what he says. Look at the ship also. The ships also, though they are so large and are driven by the strong wind, they are, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs them. Now, now we see... We, 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 during the first century, during James' time, the ships aren't nearly as big. We're not, think, we're not talking oasis by the sea here, all right? We're not talking massive, huge uh, aircraft carrier type ships, but they were big for them in comparison that they were big. We know that they could hold probably tons and tons of different kind of commerce. They could, they could carry hundreds of men. In fact, in Acts chapter 27 and verse 37, we see that Paul sailing to, to Malta on a ship that was carrying 276 people. So the ship was pretty good size to carry that many people. And it says, yet, even though it's going up against the waves, and even though the gale force winds are bearing down on it, trying to direct it one way or another, he goes, the very small in comparison rudder that's on the back is able to direct through all of that and steer it where the pilot ultimately wants it to go. So understand the similarities between the two things. Here's what you have. You have something very, very small controlling and directing something very, very large. He says, the same exact thing is with your tongue. The same exact thing is with the words that come out of her mouth. Comparatively, even compared to the other things, it's much smaller than a bit. It's much smaller than, than, a, a, um, than a rudder. And he says, but comparatively, it's far more impactful and powerful, and it has an even greater ability to be able to direct the lives of yourself and us. You know, my dad used to tell me all the time, he goes, you know, that, that, that mouth of yours is going to get you in trouble, young man. You, your parents ever say that to you, right? That one day that mouth is going to get you in trouble, right? Now, he said, listen to what he said. He said that mouth is going to get you in trouble. He didn't say that mouth is going to get your mouth in trouble. What did he say? That mouth is going to get your whole self in trouble. I was a smart mouth in high school. I know that's hard to believe. But I would always make little quirky things to, to teachers. And that's, I mean, I didn't smoke, drink, true, chew, do, do any of that. I mean, you know, I was just kind of the up, you know, I got to do everything right, love Jesus. But I was a smart mouth, right? And so what would, what would happen is I would sit in detention or I would get a detention because I would say something smart. Oh, Mike, that's another one. Oh, great. What'd you do? I said something. Really? Okay, there we go. You're in detention. Did you know that never once was it only my mouth that had to go to detention? It was all of me that went into detention. So what is he saying? He says, listen, it directs your life, but guess what else? It directs the lives of those around you. Tremendous impact on other people. And to direct them either negatively or positively. You guys know that I was a history nerd in, in college, graduated uh, with a history degree, uh, which means you can do nothing when you graduate. Uh, work at Disney World on the tram is about all you can do. And... Um, <laughs> 
Any train workers here, I'm sorry. I don't want anybody to be offended. Um, where was I? So, oh, negative and positive. World War II, for example. In, in, think about the influence that Adolf Hitler had. Here's Adolf Hitler. He writes a book um, by the name of Mein Kampf, and he writes this book, and in it he puts all of his philosophies and all his ideals for really the future of the motherland. He didn't call it fatherland, he called it the, the, the motherland there for Germany. And people begin to read it, and he begins to speak the truths. And somehow, stop and think about this. He, by speaking to millions of people, are able to get millions of people to wage war with the rest of the world. With the rest of the world. That's influence. That's directing a group of people. On top of that, he also influenced them enough to tell them and to convince them that there is a subgroup of people called the Jews that need to be annihilated because they were unworthy literally to exist. He was able to do that with everything. There's a negative example. Positive example, again, one of my heroes of all time is Winston Churchill. And, you know, I, I love, you got to love the guy. I mean, you got to love a guy that's just kind of overweight and jovial, right, with his little glasses. And he doesn't come to power, doesn't come to power, finally comes to power. He takes to the airwaves. Everybody is afraid. Everybody is terrified. He takes to the airwaves, and he begins to talk to the English people. And he tells them, our finest hour has not yet come. And all of a sudden, he rejuvenates an entire nation that goes and is over and be able to confront that which is wicked. Amazing. This is just words that are influencing people to go and lay their lives down. That's incredible influence. I think the greatest influence we see is really in the Bible. Think about it. In the beginning of, of Genesis, we have everything working well. The serpent come up, and he influences Eve negatively by deceiving her, and all of creation is stained with sin. The whole thing falls. Jesus, on the cross, right before he dies, looks up to heaven and uses these words, it is finished. And everything that was undone begins the process of being done anew. Amazing influence with the words. I want you guys to understand, just for a minute, before we go and take the Lord's Supper, do you truly realize what kind of influence you have in directing the lives of those around you with the words that you speak? The reason I ask that question is because I realize that in preaching this, and this is why we preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, in preaching it, some of us could sit back and all of a sudden the Spirit begins to work. And this is how it works when the Word is preached. And we begin to think, you know what? I, th I knew this, but I guess as I look in my life, I'm realizing what kind of influence I have there. And the truth is, with my mouth, I've had some really grievous negative impact on others. And all of a sudden, God begins to bring those to our mind. But here's what's even more terrifying. What's more terrifying is I have met people that know very well they negatively impact the lives of other people with their language, and they do it purposefully. That's a scary place. Did you know that you can, you can literally make or break somebody's day by just simply what you say to them? Say if before you come to, you know how you're just having one of those really good days? At our house, it means that the babies didn't cry all the way through the night. And somehow I can sleep till 5.30, all right? And so, so I wake up at 5.30. Oh, my goodness, I slept all the way through the night. This is so great. I love cereal. Okay, love cereal. And, uh, and you go over. Can't, can't eat it because I didn't eat wheat, but that's okay. But I'll go over, and I love cereal. You go, and guess what? In our house, everything lines up perfectly. There's the type of cereal you love, and there's still milk left in the carton. Unbelievable. Almost never happens. 
but these two things align just the right way. Your morning is going so perfect. You get to work. You get to work, and guess what? Somebody says something to you that sets you off for the rest of the day. It just gets in your crawl. And you said, then you can't get away from it. You got to, hey, I can't believe this person said this. And you literally, the whole course of your day can be thrown off because of something that somebody said. Here's the key. You too are guilty of the same thing. Of going to somebody and saying something that wasn't building them up, but rather was tearing them down. These are why our words are so incredibly important. Men, do you understand the words to your wife affect their whole countenance? Affect their whole... You go in, even if you think you're being sly about it. You walk inside, the house is messy, you've been working all day, and you don't want to just come out and go, what you been doing all day? Instead, you even think, try to make it nice, and this is how you say it. Man, what happened? A hurricane hit this place? Ha, 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 ha. And she knows very well at that point. And she sits there, and right there, she begins to doubt her ability to raise children, take care of the house, and do the job that God has called her to do. And you set her off in that direction. Same things with women, with, with men. Do you know with your children, you have an incredible impact to what, you're, what you say to your kids? You can either build them up or you can tear them down. I mean, you could sit there and go, you know, why aren't you more like such and such? What a horrible thing to say. Look, we're, we're not trying to tell our kids that they're all these perfect little kids because they need to know that they are sinners and that grace is there for them to be had. But what we do need to do is we need to say things like this. Hey, do you know that I love you? Do you know you're really good at this particular thing? Three things we always try to tell our kids. Love you, you're really good at this, and we're really, really proud of you. Man, would you do those things? And, and, and they just get together. Man, it just builds them up. But when we're short with them, harsh with them, what does it do, man? It, it, it impacts them. It, it directs them. We say you're not good at this or not good at that. What are they immediately going to believe? They're going to steer towards that. I'm not good. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. So we've got to understand that. But here's the idea. Here's what I want you to understand. And we're going to get into this more next week when we really unpack the foundation and theology of this, when we see the destruction of the tongue. But what I want you to understand is this is not something that you can just turn on and turn off. This is something that you have to go towards God and have him do a new work in your heart. It's not just about trying to change and be careful about what we say, even though we need to be. But what we need to do is we need to go to God and we need to repent of the sin in the way that we use our mouths and say, God, I need you to do a new work in me. I don't need to, I don't want to just be more careful. I want you to change my heart in such a way that what comes out of my mouth is God honoring and not the opposite. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you.